Here we head into our new sermon series. Uh, as we prepare for the fall, and this really is meant to prepare us for what we're going to be heading into. Uh, you know, last, I think, um, uh, this last six weeks we've been through Joseph. Uh, we took six weeks to cover 14 chapters. Uh, for the next four weeks, we're going to cover, I think, 11 or 12 verses, 12 verses. So we're going to be taking a little different approach as we head into it. We're excited about our series, Walking on Water, and it comes from Matthew chapter 14. If you've got your Bibles, would you turn there with me? We're going to read the whole story today. I am not covering the whole story. We will be doing that over the next four weeks, but I'll be covering a chunk of it. And we'll be reading together Matthew chapter 14, beginning with chapter or verse 22. Bibles are there in the pews in front of you. Feel free to take one home if you don't have one. The words will also be up on the screen. The three I'm going to read, starting with verse 22. It says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Jesus got down out of the boat. Walked on the wa- Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Father, uh, add your blessing to your word and to your servant as we hear your message for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is a very familiar story, probably to many, if not most of us. If you grew up in the church, probably one of the first stories you heard was Jesus walking on the water. It's so calm and it's it's even worked its way into our, our vernacular as a society. You know, I've heard people say, you know, like, they think their kids walk on water. <laughs> yeah. I've heard people say about, to, about their boss, about another employee, well, they, he just thinks she walks on water, you know, and we kind of get offended at that. Or sometimes if we're expected to do more than we can say, it's, what do you think I, you think I walk on water or something? You know, we, we tend to, it just was worked itself into our common language, but it all comes back to this story in Matthew chapter 14. In fact, this story is told three times in the Gospels. One in Matthew 14, one you can read in Mark chapter 6, and one in John chapter 6. But this is the only one, interestingly, that that talks about Peter walking on the water also, which we'll get to. The others are just on this story of, of, of Jesus walking on the water. And the Bible tells us as we start this, in fact, as, as a little background, the Bible says that the feeding of the 5,000 came just before this. And in fact, 
a little more background. Why was that important? Well, this story takes place when Jesus is kind of at a uh, heightened popularity and heightened notoriety, both. And they were both causing problems. In fact, Jesus had been going around and he'd become very, very popular. Why not? His teaching was amazing. He performed all kinds of miracles. He healed all kinds of diseases. He cast out demons. You can understand why he was starting to really attract a crowd. Large crowds, wherever he would go. The only place he had a little problem was when he went back home to Nazareth. But he got out of Nazareth into the greater Galilee region. And folks were following him and he was popular. But he was also gaining the notoriety. In fact, of course, the religious leaders were starting to notice this threat to them. But even more than that, the beginning of this chapter 14 of Matthew talks about Herod. King Herod, he had had actually John the Baptist put to death, if you remember, beheaded. And at the beginning of this chapter, Herod is hearing about Jesus. He's hearing what Jesus is doing, and he says, he says, this, this must be John the Baptist come back to dead, come back from the dead. That's the, that's the only explanation of why anybody could do these kind of miracles. And so he's got his eye on Jesus. And so you have this rising popularity, you have this rising notoriety. And so Jesus, sensing all of this, feels the need for some alone time. The Bible tells us he's looking for a place of solitude, a place where he can go to pray. And he tries to go, but the crowds follow him. And they follow him around the lake. In fact, there's a picture here I took in, in March. This is the, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's... Uh, it's, it's not really a sunset, it's a, it's a, it's a sunrise, because uh, the north end of the lake is this way. The Sea of Galilee, which this miracle took place on, is about 12 to 13 miles long and 8 miles wide in the center. But at the north end where Jesus was at this time was probably not as, as wide because it gets narrower at the north end. And so, but Jesus was up there trying to get away along the shore. I can see the boat pulled up and, and even I had a dream, or not a dream, but a vision when I was there of, of being, you know, kind of pulled up in a boat along the sea and people gathered around and preaching from the boat. I, this is as close as I'm going to get <laughs> to that. But Jesus was, was there and the folks were finding him and, and the story goes that it was about nighttime. It was getting dark. It was getting very dark. In fact, so much so that the disciples are getting concerned. Says Jesus, we need to send everybody home. They're getting hungry. Let's get them home. And Jesus said, okay, that sounds good, but first, you feed them. And they say, how are we going to feed them? All we be able to collect is some few fish and loaves, and you know the story how Jesus went and he fed 5,000 men, many thousand more women and children. And he fed them. And his popularity grows, and it grows even more. In fact, the story goes that he fed 5,000. And as they were just finishing up, picking up the leftovers, verse 22 starts, where we just read. They're picking up the leftovers, I added that. And immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side 
while he dismissed the crowd. Now that just sounds like a transitional sentence, getting from one event to another again. But, it's, but there's a lot that's is in this sentence or in this verse I want you to see. It starts off right immediately. We see this, this is a, it's, this verse out of a sense of urgency about it, a haste. Jesus says, get to it. In fact, immediately the urgent part of Jesus is followed by he made them. He made them. Some of your versions might say compelled them. Some of them might say constrained. But it's like, you guys need to get going. Get going and get going now. I can imagine the the back and forth between Jesus and his disciples at this point. Guys, get in the boat and go. I can imagine saying, the guy saying, but Jesus, no problem. We can wait for you. You want to pray? No problem. We, we, can, we can sit here. We can chat. We can visit. We can, we can just do some fishing. Maybe we can do anything. We can wait for you. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. Go now. <laughs> and I can hear him saying again, but Jesus, um, you know, it's probably not good for you to be alone. We're your protection. So, so I, can, I can imagine this going back. I can imagine Jesus saying like my mom and dad used to say, don't make me say it again. <laughs> There's an urgency in Jesus' voice here. He says, immediately he made them, he compelled them, he constrained them to go ahead of them, which means I'm going to come and meet you later. So go ahead, I'll follow, I'll get there. Don't worry about me, Jesus is saying. And then he dismissed the crowd. As the teacher, it was a teacher who would declare a session over. And so Jesus sent them, and then he went up and he, he, he dismissed the crowd. He would have likely said a blessing and sent them on their way. Now, it sounds like, what's the hurry? What's going on here, Jesus? And we say, figure, you know, what's, what's the deal? This is not a, that, that's not that big of a deal. But Jesus was just reacting to what was going on. We know that Herod had heard about him. Herod had heard that these miracles were happening. And it's neat to have these different, different stories in different books of the Bible, because you can compare and pull information that, that's interesting to Matthew, but maybe not as interesting to Mark, or Mark adds something and John adds something. What's well, John in his version in chapter 6? He adds right here, after the miracle was performed, he says the people started to say, hey, this, this is the prophet. This is the one. This is the one sent. And Jesus, in chapter 6, verse 15 of John, thinks, it says in the scripture, knew that they wanted to take him and make him king by force. So Jesus was simply trying to diffuse the situation. Jesus knew he was popular beyond belief, but he knew the notoriety was there, but he also knew this was not his time. This was not the time or the place for Jesus to be crowned king. And it was certainly not the way he was going to become a king. And he knew that. And John tells us that this was going on behind the scenes. And all Mark tells us is he said to the disciples, get out of here and get out of here quick. We need to break this up. We need to put an end to this before word gets back to Herod. That's not the way I want things to go. And so he went up and the scripture tells us that after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Matthew's gospel, only twice does he find it important to tell us that Jesus got aside, went alone, and prayed. It's, it's here, and it's in Gethsemane. 
Times where Jesus is dealing with his future. Times where Jesus might have been tested, tried. Is this the time? Lord, what do I, God, how do I handle this? And so he's, he's God's up. He said, I need quiet time. I need time with God. I need time with my Father. And so he goes up and prays. Meanwhile, things are not going so well for the disciples, right? It goes on in this verse. It says, later that night, he, Jesus, was there alone. And the boat was already considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. They had, they had obeyed Jesus. They had gone out. And whether it was starting to get windy before, we don't know. Whether the storm arose suddenly, we don't know. But there was this windstorm that came. And the winds there, this buffeted is a very, a very powerful word. In fact, that buffeted means, means battered, tortured, tormented. Can you imagine using the word tortured to how the waves are hitting the boat? Mark says in his version, he says the disciples were straining at the oars. And he uses the same great Greek word as, as Matthew used for buffeted. It's, it's, this, it's this, they were straining, they were, they, were, they were trying so hard, but they were tortured, they were tormented as they tried to wave, tried to steer, tried to make headway. Why? Because the wind was in their face. And so when Jesus was done praying, the disciples are out in the middle of the lake, struggling, straining, tortured to get this boat under control and headed in the direction they wanted to go. He decides it's time to join them. Verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Jesus decides to take a late night stroll. <laughs> but rather than walking around the lake, which he could have done, this is all in the northern end, all the people that had followed him, all the people that had come to, to hear him, they had walked, they had taken, he could have walked around. It would have taken longer, yes, it might have been a little dangerous at night, but he could have done that. But he decides, I don't need to do that. Maybe, maybe part of it was, if he walks, he's going to be recognized. If he walks, some people might join him. And before, that, before long, he's back to having another crowd of 5,000 people. It says shortly before dawn, some of your versions might say in the fourth watch of the night. The Romans would divide up the, the, eve, the night into four watches. They started at 6 o'clock at night, and every three hours was a watch. So the fourth watch at night would be 3.30 in the, 3 in the morning till 6 in the morning. So sometime in that darkest part, just before the sun was going to come up, Jesus takes this walk. He's waiting, not waiting. He's not swimming. The local place that rents the jet skis was closed. So he had no choice. If he's going to go, and he's not going to go around, his only choice is to walk. And he starts walking on the lake says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. They were terrified. Not of the storm, not of the waves, not of the wind. They were terrified because of what they saw. 
Greek word is phantasma, a phantom, a ghost, a spirit, an apparition. And it says they were so terrified they cried out in fear. You know, one thing I don't do is watch scary movies. Um, I just, I, you know, those horror flicks and things like that. First of all, you know, my attention span movies to me don't get along real well. Um, I, they got to be short and to the point. But also, I, I, I have a hard time paying somebody to scare me. <laughs> if I'm going to come out from a movie, I want to, if I come out from a movie, I want to feel lifted up. I want to feel happy. I want to feel encouraged, maybe challenged. I don't want to feel like I need to run home and crawl under my bed. You know, that's just, that's just not me. So, so, but, but every now and then I see these clips of, of these movies, these horror movies, and people screaming. Ah, you know how that goes. And I can imagine, I can imagine here in the middle of the night, it's between three, you know, they, these disciples should have listened to their mother. Nothing good ever happens after midnight, right? Yeah. What are you doing out at the lake? Well, Jesus sent me there. Okay, you know. But it's, it's, it's scary, and they're looking out, and they're saying, what's going on here? And the, but these are grown men. These are men that have, many of them have, have lived on the lake. They fished it. But they're frightened out of their minds. What are they afraid of? What are they afraid of? Stop and think about it. In that very quick few seconds where there's the waves battering the boat, where the mist is coming off the sea because the winds are blowing so strong, and you have no clue what you're seeing, you just know it's, it's scary. It looks like a ghost. The Jews did believe, except for maybe the Sadducees in, in, in spirits and and they also would have believed that the, 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 the sea was a habitation, a, hab, a habitat for the spirits. Why not? Couldn't it be a spirit? Even though Jesus would have not have wanted them to think that probably. But that, you know, your, your mind goes back right away. What could be? There's a process of elimination. And in a very few seconds, you start eliminating what it can't be. And the one thing it cannot be is a human being walking on the water. That doesn't happen. And so your mind starts going, what can it be? And your mind starts going to things that are out of this world. And that's where their minds were going. I'd suggest that one of the reasons they were so panicked, so, so terrified, the Bible tells us, is because this was not the time or the place they ever expected Jesus to show up. On a stormy sea, in the middle of the night, with no boat. This is not the place for Jesus to show up. He didn't make an appointment. <laughs> he didn't text ahead and say, hey, I'm coming. He just showed up. He showed up when least expected in a place where you would never thought he would be, in circumstances that were dire. That was Jesus. And the disciples couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle it. You know, I was reading this week, a, an author, first time I've read him and got a book I was reading about, uh, sometimes it's so easy to get comfortable with God. When does God show up? Well, he shows up hopefully between 10 and 11, no, 11 and 12, oh, 
Five? We'll try that today. That's when God shows up, right? We get comfortable with a God who shows up on our schedule. God shows up on Tuesday nights or Monday nights when I have my growth group. That's when God shows up. Sometimes God may even show up when I'm having my devotion, my prayer time. But that's when God shows up. And it gets like, we, as long as we can have God controlled within our little box, God, you show up at these times, and that's, that's really, that's all the time, the only time I really need you to show up. Well, it's like God has, becomes our little magnet on the refrigerator. We take him down when we need him, and we put him back when we don't. But when God shows up without an appointment, when God shows up when we least expect him, when God shows up in a place that we never thought we would see him, it can be, it can be a bit scary. Sometimes God shows up in the middle of the nowhere. In the middle of nowhere. You know, I was looking through some of the stories of the Old Testament, thinking about how God has just shown up. Abraham. Abraham is in the country of Ur, or in Ur of Mesopotamia, just minding his own business. And one day God shows up. And he says, hey, how about this, Abraham? Take your family and move them all. I know they're going to think you're crazy. I know they're going to ask why. But just move and trust me. Just showed up like that. Moses, he was just tending the flock of his father-in-law. Minding his own business, enjoying life. And all of a sudden, in a, fiery, or in a burning bush, God shows up. Says, Moses, I have a job for you to do. Just in the middle of life, no appointment, interrupting, God shows up. God shows up sometimes in really strange ways. I love Numbers 22, story maybe you'd want to read if you haven't had a chance recently. But God shows up to a, a false prophet named Balaam. And God shows up in the form of a donkey's mouth. I can't decide which is scarier. Would it be more scary to be on the sea and see Jesus walking towards you? Or to be riding on a donkey and having him turn around and ask you, why do you keep hitting me? <laughs> which one's more scary? God shows up in the midst of our daily lives when we don't expect it in ways we never thought. In the middle of an evil, evil world. One day God shows up to a man named Noah. Taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, can we be partners? And build a boat? A big boat. It's going to rain. You may not understand that. And you may understand why I'm asking you to build a boat where there's no lakes. But let's, let's do it. Let's do it. In the middle of the night, God shows up to Samuel. Whispers his name, Samuel, Samuel, I got a message for you to give to your people. I have a message, I have a job for you to do. God shows up in a fiery furnace with three little Jewish, three Jewish boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he watches over them and he protects them. Out of nowhere, God just shows up. God has shown up down through the years in times where we least expect it, in places where we least expect it. And the reactions vary. Reactions vary from panic to what's going on here to I'll follow you to Lord. I, well, is that you, Lord? But God shows up 
just like he showed up that day, that night, in the middle of a stormy sea. We follow through the Old Testament and we turn the pages and we see God showing up again. This time, though, it's to a, a young lady named Mary. Can you imagine? I think, I picture this as Mary doing dishes. I don't know if that's really how it happened, but I, I picture Mary doing dishes. And all of a sudden, she turns around and, and the angel's there and says, Mary, um, by the way, God wants you to partner with him. And this is going to be a mind-blowing event. And you are going to be part of this. And, the, and God steps in, shows up, and pursues folks who are in danger. Uh, Frederick Beatner, American uh, author and theologian, has a, has a saying in his book, The Hungering Dark. It's just my favorite and it fits so well here. It says this, those who believe in God can never in a way be sure of him again. Once they have seen him in a stable, they can never be sure of where he will appear or to what lengths he will go or to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of man. And he goes on and says, and this means that we are not safe. There's no place we can hide from God. No place where we are safe from his power to break into and recreate the human heart because it is where he seems most helpless that he is most strong. And just where we least expect him that he comes most fully. Least expected in a manger, in a cradle. And he came into the world, to a world that needed him. And he continued to appear, appeared to some normal, everyday fishermen, tax collectors, said, follow me. One day he shows up out of nowhere and looks up into a tree and enters Zacchaeus' world with no appointment, with no call ahead. No, I'm coming. One day, a man named Saul is walking down the road on his way to Damascus, doing what he was planning to do. And God showed up. Jesus showed up. He's in the business of showing up. He's in the business of pursuing us. He's in the business of entering into our lives when we least expect it. When we're willing to let him out of the box that we've got him in. Well, Jesus, he heard him screaming. Yeah, I'm sure. Even with the wind, even with everything blowing, he heard him screaming. And it says in verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus shows up in the storm of their life. Jesus shows up in the midst of the storm that he sent them into. <laughs> I think about this time, if I'm the one in the boat, I'm saying, it's Jesus' fault. He's put us here. <laughs> Did we have to listen to him? He sent them into it. Now he's saying, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. The first thing he says is, have courage. 
have courage. I think of Joshua and the work that God called Joshua to doing to lead the, the, uh, the Israelite people into, into conquering and taking the promised land. And the words that we heard over and over, especially at the beginning of that book, have courage, be strong, be courageous. Someone has said that the brother of courage is fear. We, we have fear, but we also have courage. And, and we only see the courage we have when we, when we compare that to the fear that's gripped us. These, these men, they're in the boat. They've got fear. But Jesus says, but take courage or have courage. Then he says this, it is I. The Greek is I me ego. Literally means I am. I am. Jesus is saying here, take courage, I am. The same words that would have been used to Moses when, when Moses said, God, who am I sending? And he said, who's sending me? And he said, I am. Jesus is saying, I am God. This is a critical moment in the ministry of Jesus. It's a critical moment in his building up of his disciples. About six chapters earlier, you may remember Jesus was in a boat with them earlier. He was in a boat and they were crossing and it was so bad that they cried out to Jesus, we're going to drown, we're going to die. And Jesus stood up and he calmed the winds and the, the, the waves. Do you remember that? But that ended with the disciples saying, whoa, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Jesus answers that question here today. He says, have courage, I am. I am. And then he says this, don't be afraid. Because it can be scary when Jesus shows up. Can we trust him? Can we trust him to take our fears? Can we trust him that he is God and he can accomplish what we can't accomplish? And can we rely on him and have faith in him? Isaiah 43 says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be there. I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. On the boat that day were disciples frightened out of their mind. And Jesus was simply saying, I'm stepping into your world where I sent you. Have courage. I am. Don't be afraid. As fishermen and good boater, boaters, I'm sure these men were well aware of the safety rules of boating. Uh, my dad's had boats all our lives, and we've boated and water skied and fished and all on Lake Erie. And you know, just most, all my life has been our summers, and I've loved it. And so I know a bit about boat safety. Uh, one thing I always know is that no matter where you're going, take plenty of drinking water. That's, that's rule 22 in the top rules of, of boating safety. Take plenty of drinking water with you. You say, that's kind of silly. Aren't you in the middle of the water? Well, you are in the middle of the water, but sometimes that's not the water you want to drink, right? Take plenty of water. This week, as I was thinking about that and thinking about the water and the supplies we take on our boat, I was, came across this water bottle. This water bottle was actually, uh, says on it, Youth Explosion 1993. Now, this thing's an antique, right? <laughs> 1993 youth explosion. 
This week we had, Wednesday night, just a great event here at the church. We had a, a youth group uh, reunion. And folks came in, just a great time together. And this was part of that, getting this out just to remember. But I was looking at it, and the theme for Youth Explosion that year was this. In God we trust, but with a question mark. In God we trust? <laughs> Do you trust God? Do you trust God enough that when he enters your world without an appointment, when he calls you, or when he comes to minister to you, that you can say, uh-huh, I won't fear. I'll have courage, and I'll put my trust and faith in you. In God we trust. Do we? Or is our first reaction, and it may be, like those disciples that day. Ah! <laughs> One or the other. We either get scared and we run and we cry out, or we say, no, in God I trust, and we change that question mark to an exclamation point. In God we trust. Do we trust? Do we trust him when he breaks into our lives unscheduled? no appointment, and calls us. The psalmist, in chapter 56, verse 3, he says this, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Is that you today? Is God calling you to something? Has he entered your life? Or are you trying to keep him up on the refrigerator shelf and say, God, I don't care how stormy my sea is, this isn't the time I need you. I don't care what I'm going through. Or, Lord, I'm kind of enjoying myself right now. I'm comfortable in my Christian walk. And we miss the blessing. We miss the miracle. We miss the walking on water. We miss the worshiping of our Lord and Savior who says, have courage I am. Don't be afraid. Let's stand together and we're just going to sing these words that we closed our one song with, just, just a couple lines of it. But this Jesus that I'm talking about, the one who came into this world, who pursues us and pursued these men that day, uh, he's here today. And uh, maybe like then, he has wet feet because he's pursuing us wherever we go. If it's waters, he'll get his feet wet. If he needs to get his feet a little dirty, he'll do that. If he needs to get his feet muddy to reach you and pursue you, he will. In fact, his feet were scarred. And nails in his pursuit of us worthy of our worship, worthy of saying, yes, Lord, when he calls us. Let's, let's sing together.
I love that picture of Jesus with his wet feet coming to the rescue of those disciples. I think there have been times probably in chasing me, Jesus has walked through some rocks, maybe gotten some bloody feet that way. Through some jungle, through some woods. But wherever, his feet, his, his reaching into our lives, it doesn't have to be a, a great moment of fiery furnace or a burning bush. Jesus appears and comes to us in moments of our devotion. Jesus comes to us while we're driving in our car. As we're sitting in our desk. Someone came up to me after the first service and says, while I'm gardening. I go, yeah, while you're gardening. He comes at times when we're not expecting it. Be open to what he has for you. Don't limit. Don't restrict. Don't push God out on your terms. But welcome him when he comes to you. Say, oh, I want to partner with God this week. This week, partner with him. Let's pray. Father, we are inspired by at least the beginning of this story as we see what maybe we thought we would never see. A man walking on water. And yet we realize that's nothing for you. Lord, you can reach into our lives wherever we are. You can, you, Lord, you, you came to earth as a child. You gave your life as a sacrifice in your pursuit of us. Why would you stop now? Lord, I pray that you would pursue us. Lord, that you would show up where we need, where you, we need you the most. And Lord, that we would respond not out of fear, but out of gratitude, out of courage, out of worship for you. Go with us this week. Speak to us. Watch over us. And make us to be fruitful and a blessing to others as you have blessed us. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Go in peace.